Please pray with me. Open our ears, quiet our minds, and light up our hearts as we once again turn to your word, which is our spiritual nourishment. Amen. A reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verses 6 and 7, and 11 through 13. Listen now for the word of God. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise rebuke to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest are faithful messengers to those who send them. They refresh the spirit of their masters. The word of the Lord. And the gospel lesson this morning from the lectionary comes from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 1 and verses 7 through 14. I invite you once again to listen for God's word to you. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tenzig Norgay of Nepal and Sir Edmund Hillary of New Zealand summited Mount Everest in 1953, becoming the first people to reach the highest point on earth. Hillary's accomplishments brought him a good deal of fame. He was knighted, appointed New Zealand's high commissioner to Nepal, India, and Bangladesh, and ultimately was given membership into the Order of the Garter, which is the highest award in the British Empire. The story is told that on one of Hillary's many trips back to the Himalayas, a group of tourists recognized him 
and asked to take a photo with him. They even gave him an ice pick to hold to play the parts in the photo. And while they were setting up for the picture, someone else walked by who apparently did not recognize Hillary. Excuse me, he said to the great mountaineer, that's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you how. And Hillary simply thanked the man, let him adjust the ice pick, and patiently went on with the photograph. We might define the virtue of humility as a willingness to intentionally relinquish an opportunity for self-promotion. It's a willingness to give away status so that another can receive recognition. Like an important person taking a less important seat at a banquet, humility makes one's own recognition of less importance than the building up of others. Sir Edmund Hillary exemplifies this definition of humility because when given an opportunity to set a less accomplished climber back in his place, when given an opportunity to self-promote and defend his status as a mountaineering legend by revealing who he really was, Hillary declined. Instead, he gave that less experienced hiker an opportunity to feel smart and important. He set aside the defense of his own status to elevate another. In our text from Luke this morning, Jesus gives this very lesson in humility. In the context of a banquet, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate how to practice humility in the midst of an environment charged with status and self-promotion. It's noteworthy that Jesus doesn't challenge the status quo itself in this parable, right? He doesn't say that everyone at a banquet should have the same status or that it really doesn't matter where you sit at a banquet. We might expect Jesus to challenge the whole social construct of status within human culture. But instead, at least in this particular passage, Jesus challenges us to live faithfully in the midst of the realities of our status-obsessed world. In Jesus' day, status was most visible at large social gatherings. Every seat at a banquet declined in importance the further you got from the host. So all sorts of levels of status were available from one spot to the next at a gathering of any significance. Today we still have a vague notion that the head of the table is the most important seat at a meal, and it's still usually reserved for a host. But overall, our tables are less rigidly defined, I think. But still, think of all the other ways that our society sorts people into various levels of status. It's almost second nature to us, isn't it? Where we live, what we drive, and how we dress are just the obvious ones. And as the contours of status become clear within the various realms of society we inhabit, self-promotion becomes the means of leveling up to higher status. Status signaling announces our own importance. Whether it's cultivating our online social media presence or padding our resume with more academic and civic accolades or just drinking better wine than our friends, 
the truth is that we often try to exalt ourselves, to use the language of the text. We covet those seats of honor within our society, don't we? And we do what we can to position ourselves to inhabit them. Now, one thing you may or may not know about me is that I drive a Lexus. Yeah, I'm pretty fancy, right? The only problem is it's a 99 with 220,000 miles on it. It has the turning radius of the church bus, the power locks don't work, and every time it even starts, I break into the Gloria Patri. I'm so relieved. When my car needs to be repaired, I often take it to the Lexus dealership for service. They have the parts I need. And as I pull in there, I feel totally embarrassed, surrounded by so many nice cars. And the looks on the faces of the mechanics as I drive up never fails to leave an impression. You know, in some circles, it's status elevating to drive your car until it dies completely. It means that you're thrifty and frugal. But in other circles, like the Lexus dealership, it's not status elevating at all. And when my car needs a fair bit of work, I drive away from the Lexus dealership with a courtesy car, which they give you while yours is in the shop. And as soon as I get behind the wheel of that thing, I feel like a new man. The courtesy vehicles are very nice because the dealership wants to elicit an upgrade from most of their clients, so they give you the latest and greatest to drive. As for me, I go from not wanting to be seen in my car as I pull up to the dealership to rolling down the window in the courtesy car as I'm pulling out, driving just to drive. And the absurdity of this change in mindset has not been entirely lost on me over the years. One time when I lived in Pittsburgh, I pulled up to a tennis club where I would often play in one of these courtesy cars, and I parked front and center, got my tennis bag out of the back of the car with a little click of the button, nodded at people as they came in and out of the club. In that circle, I finally felt like I belonged, and at least for a day, I had leveled up in my status. But later that same day, I went to a presbytery meeting, and I remember parking as far as possible from the door to that church, not wanting to be seen by other pastors who might wonder with skepticism how a seminary student had wound up with such a nice car. In that circle, I knew that my status would actually go down if I was spotted with a Lexus courtesy car. Friends, in our text today, Jesus dismisses all of this sort of nonsense. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted, Jesus declares as the moral of the story. Jesus implicitly acknowledges that there is such a thing as exalted status in society, for better or worse, but he also warns that the pursuit of status by means of self-promotion cannot ultimately satisfy. Instead, we can choose humility. Instead, we can choose the lowest seat at the table. And in doing so, we can find our validation in Christ, who will host the great banquet feast, which is in heaven you see, humility is what forms the bulwark against a descent into the rat race of self-promotion. Humility counters the forces of social status that seduce our attention. But humility is a tool we must freely choose 
to wield. Because for humility to be a virtue, it must come from within our own agency. It must be chosen over and against a non-humble alternative. Because after all, if humility is forced upon you, it's a vice rather than a virtue. If humility is imposed from without rather than nurtured from within, well, then it's someone else's power play, someone else's self-promotion. If humility is forced upon you, it's simply humiliation. And humiliation is the great risk of playing the social status game. Because the higher we climb, the more exalted we become, the closer we get to the host, the further we fall when knocked off the ladder. After all, there's plenty of seats at the banquet table, but there's only one seat at the host's right hand. Jesus carefully describes the humble decision to sit at a lower spot at the banquet table. He says, when you're invited to a banquet, go and sit down at the lowest place. He assumes that you're the first to arrive at the banquet and you have your choice of seat. And in such an instance, Jesus says, choose the least important spot and wait to be invited higher. Jesus says, in effect, choose humility while you still can. Choose it while you have a choice. Because alternatively, if you choose the seat of honor from the get-go, humility may be forced upon you by the host when a more distinguished person comes and you are asked to vacate your spot. Then in humiliation, in disgrace, Jesus says, you will be moved to a lower place. And if you're forced to take a lower seat, you aren't practicing humility, you're being humiliated. And this is the subtle but crucial difference, I think, that distinguishes humility and humiliation. Humility is chosen. It's something that you choose. Humiliation is not. Humiliation is forced upon you. And humility is something we can only choose for ourselves. If we try to choose humility for others and impose it on them, then, of course, we're simply humiliating them. The story is told of a time when Muhammad Ali refused to put on his seatbelt during a flight when turbulence required it. Superman doesn't need a seatbelt, he explained to the flight attendant telling him to buckle up. Superman also doesn't need an airplane, she replied. You see, Ali could have chosen to buckle up like everyone else, and it would have been a humble decision. The general public admires it when athletes don't think they can play by their own set of rules. However, the flight attendant had to force Ali to put on his seatbelt and with a humiliating remark at that, right? Forced humility is humiliation. And as much as humility is a beautiful thing to witness and something that evokes our respect and esteem, humiliation makes us cringe and look away. But humiliation is also used by those of higher social status in society to uphold the status quo and prevent other people from gaining a higher standing themselves. By maintaining these tiers of status, the fortunate uphold their perceived exalted standing above the rest. 
Take the example of poverty, for instance. In some Christian circles, the faithful take what's called a vow of poverty, renouncing their own accumulation of wealth and committing to some kind of shared communal sharing of resources. These vows of poverty are beautiful because they're freely chosen by those who take them up. The commitment comes from one's own decision to embrace a humble lifestyle. They don't have to take a vow of poverty. Contrast that with those who are born into poverty or who become impoverished by circumstances beyond their control. The reality of such poverty from a Christian perspective is hardly a virtue in and of itself, but may in fact be an indictment on our society. I suppose poverty is not an easy problem to fix, sure, but I also wonder if we've tried everything we could. But either way, no serious person would think, well, it's good that the poor are poor because they get to be more humble, right? Of course not. Instead, we would rightly say that the humiliation of poverty is unacceptable from a Christian perspective. I think Christian theology has sometimes missed this point about humility. The church throughout its history has been a little too content at times with the whole concept that there can be different classes of people in society because, well, God appoints the way society is, and at least in the next life, everyone will have abundance. But you see, a poverty imposed and tolerated by society is humiliating and in the end, the antithesis of humility. Last Sunday, we sang the hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. I love that hymn. And in verse 3 of our hymnal's version, there's been a change of lyrics. Older versions used to read, The humble poor believe. But the version that we have now reads, The poor in heart believe. And I'm not sure why that change was made, but perhaps changing the phrase humble poor to poor in heart better reflects the fact that only by choice can poverty be described as humble. Friends, at any rate, Jesus commends those who could choose to sit at a higher place of honor, but instead freely choose a lower place so that another can be exalted. Such humility, I think, is sorely lacking in our culture that sometimes comes across as arrogant and obsessed with self-promotion. But humility, when freely chosen, remains a powerful and beautiful virtue, even though it often seems to be a narrow way. Humility doesn't seem like the path to prosperity in our self-promoting culture. But in the end, Christian discipleship is not about self-gratification and status signaling. Instead, following Christ offers us freedom from all forms of self-obsession and the insecurities that come with it. We disciples of Christ find our exaltation in the one we follow, and we give ourselves away freely, knowing that our only boast comes in knowing Christ. May it be so for each of us. Thanks be to God.
Amen.